Okay. Okay, buddy. You want to come back again? Okay. All right, buddy. Okay. Let's try it again. Okay. All right, we're gonna get started. Um, if you guys are, uh, if you're in the kitchen, please uh, uh, come through. Um, I have a co-presenter today uh, uh, in these talks. I think we're getting sick of hearing my voice anyway. All right. So Jonathan's going to give this a little bit of presentation with us as well. But um, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Uh, we're, we've kind of been on a theme uh, here lately, uh, and this started with, um, this started with, uh, with Archdeacon Mark, with Marchi uh, in May, uh, and he started talking about, um, He really started listing out for us and making it really readily available for us a lot of these reasons why we're losing losing youth from the church, um, why people are leaving the church, why uh, maybe even historically, what are some of the factors that have kind of led up to this. And so um, building off of that theme and building off of that understanding and the teachings that we're getting from the youth uh, not from us as servants, but what we're learning from the youth and what they're telling us. Uh, I've been really been meditating on this a little bit more, and even last week to um, yes, I mean, um, even last week as uh, uh, my wife Anna, who is giving the, who gave the talk last week, and who uh, continued to talk to us a little bit more about what is the true meaning of love. Um, I really want to coin a phrase here that we talk about, and this is trying to overcome and for us to understand. What is transactional Christianity, right? And we've all been in transactional relationships, right? Anybody ever felt like you're in a transactional relationship, right? Like a friendship, you know, there's a friendship that feels transactional. Someone's like, well, if you don't do this, then we're not really friends. Or I haven't talked to you in a long time, so I guess we're not friends anymore. Or, you know, sometimes you feel that way with your, with your marriage. We keep scoring our marriages sometimes, right? It becomes transactional, right? I did the dishes five times, you did it twice, right? There seems to be like... A, a, a way of keeping score and feeling kind of these transactions like left and right. Um, and so there's a danger that this worldly thinking of what is kind of common, right, of, of what is a transactional relationship, there's a danger that this bleeds into the church. There's a danger that this type of transaction bleeds into the church. Another way to think about this would be to think about it in the light of like conditional Christianity. So either the t- title of this talk is Overcoming Transactional Christianity or it's Overcoming Conditional Christianity, as if there are some condition that's based into it. And so um, I've, made this, I've made this joke a few times before, but there's this TV show that I, has caught my attention multiple times. It was called The Good Place uh, on NBC. Uh, and the, the entire premise of this show, right, the entire premise of the TV show is that there's like a point system and how to get to heaven, right? And that's the good place or the bad place. And you got to earn enough points to get in there, right? So if this was like, this is like a clip from the show, right, that if you're, this is your name, and this is how I used to, this is how I grew up in the church as well. I used to think that I would think that there's like certain points that I'm getting, right? Especially coming from sports that I always think to myself, like, am I winning or losing at Christianity right now, right? Like, am I, like, what's the score? Where am I at? And so, um, you know, and this is a joke. It's a little tongue in cheek, but this is how we've kind of embraced it, right? So like, hey, if I was the guy to sing to a child, I get, you know, plus 0.69 points. If I'm, uh, you know, ruin an opera with boorish behavior, uh, it's a minus 90 points, right? Like I give to charity, I get 100 points, right? This is my favorite is like, tell a woman to smile, minus 53 points, you know? 
But if you're able to maintain your composure in line at a water park while in Houston, that's plus 61 points. You know, um, this is all. <laughs> um, fail to disclose camel illness when selling a camel. That's minus 22 points. You know, you must be able to disclose the illness of the camel while selling the camel in that transaction. It's very relevant to us. Anyway, this is just straight from the show. But it's it's funny, uh, and the reason why again this show caught my attention when you think about it, because as we were growing up, and even today, I think we believe this sometimes, right? Like I'd ask myself in a transactional way, like this week, well, I went to church once, maybe I went on Wednesday, and I went on Sunday, and I went to Sunday school, wait, and I served, you know, at Christ the Good Shepherd on Saturday, and I did this, well, that means I got, I did like five things, so I'm winning at Christianity this week, like, I did these things, therefore, I got enough point systems, and the basis of the show, this whole show, I, I don't necessarily recommend it, it's up to you to watch it, right, like, if you can get through some of the, you know, Blasphemy. It's okay to get to the, uh, you, there's, there's a good time to be had, right? But if you're, it definitely gets me thinking about, right, this idea of, like, this, this sheet. Because whether we say this or not, some of the ways that we've taught Sunday school, and again, going back to the theme of this, when we lose children from the church, when we lose people in church, there are times where we may think, and I know I did this as a kid, I thought that God was keeping a ledger. I thought God was keeping a ledger on my life. Well, I did 15 good things, but I only did 12 bad things, that means I'm a plus three, plus three I go to heaven, right? That means I'm in, right? Anybody else think that when they were growing up? Anybody felt that way? I, it's, it's not everybody, but some people intern, in, internalize this. And it's hard not to internalize this sometimes because there's a way that we reward and punish behavior in the church, right? I mean, I think about this example even just with like a Catholic confessional, right? And we see what happens in the Catholic Church. So those who grew up in Catholic churches or went through this at different phases in our life, right? Well, what happens when you go to confession? Well, I say, hey, Father, I've sinned, right? Here are my sins. This is the things I've done. And then you get a prescription, right? And the prescription comes back to, you're going to do 10 Hail Marys. You're going to do 15 prostrations. You're going to say 25 Our Fathers. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. That's not what I'm trying to say, right? What I'm trying to say is that it's hard not to internalize then, right, that I've done something and now I have to do something else to then make up for that, what I've done, right? And that is the definition of a transaction, right? Like, I've, I've done this thing, all right? Now I pay for it, right? I, I pay for this thing so I can have this experience, right? Now I go to the end. Right? And this type of, like, transactional thinking, this is farther away from Christian, couldn't be further away from Christian life than and what Jesus brought down to us. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I apologize. But this is where... Uh, if someone was watching this tape, they'd be like, nothing you said in the last 15 seconds makes sense, you know, and it doesn't make sense in my head. But what I'm trying to say is, for us, um, this transactional thing has bled into what we do, right? It's kind of bled into what we do. Um, if we define transactional Christianity as real, it becomes real in its consequences. So when Marchie began talking about why sometimes kids leave the church, we talk a little bit about like, well, what is Sunday school experience like? And that's why I'm saying this as, a, as an adult meeting here and for servants and for us who are like, adults who are hearing these things and leading in the church. The way we teach sometimes in morality is, right, you do this bad thing, now this punishment is going to happen for you, right? I used to think to myself, right, and I still see adults this day, if I do something, God's going to do this thing back to me, right? He's going to punish me along the way. I've actually seen even lately, again, and this is what the youth are telling us, where we see maybe see something in the world bad happening, and then coincidentally something and we say bad, what we consider to be a sin happen, and then something bad happens to those people, and then we'll see Christians celebrate it. We'll see that's what happens. That's what happens. This is God is making this transaction here, right? Someone, there was a, uh, you know, to give real, real life example, right? Something like if uh, uh, a church was, was conducting like same-sex marriages or had something like this, and then 
that church burned down the next day, then people would be cheering, see, God, God burned the church down. This is what happened, right? These are real life examples that our youth are sharing with us, right? This is not, I'm not just making a story up, right? See, God, God, justice, God is giving us justice, right? And this, this type of transactional thinking comes from this idea, I think, it breeds from what we believe are heaven and hell as destinations, like that we believe heaven and hell are places, like physical places. And we don't have in a time and talk like this, uh, and neither am I gifted enough to speak too much on this, right? But this idea that as a destination, hell exists, right? And we, we know that in our church, and we should be thinking about this, right, that this idea of hell as a torture chamber where there are demons living there, right, waiting for us at the end of our lives that we're going to be tossed into this, this demonic chamber that's going to torture us for the rest of our lives because we were bad here on earth, that's not true. That doesn't jive with the existence of a merciful and just God. But how we've been preached and how we've been taught a lot of times through the course of, of church, right, is to say that this is going to happen. Even St. Isaac the Syrian has a great saying about, about this existence of hell. He says, hell is an element, not a substance, right? This is an element, not a substance, not a substance that exists, right? He says hell is an element of our, uh, of our lives, right? So this idea doesn't, excuse me, it's not an element, it's an effect, right? It's an element and an effect. Like I can affect, I can feel in hell. That's why one, one theologian said, and I put this under, the road to heaven is heaven and the road to hell is hell right? Could be here right now, right? I could be in here right now. I could be living on my path towards heaven, or I could be living in hell because of my, my absence of and of my, my neglect of my relationship with God. So if we think about how we've been taught Christianity, it becomes brimstone and fire preaching, right? Like, if you do this, you're going to go to hell, right? But if we believe that as a destination, it has real impacts on how then we behave on a daily basis, right? And so I, I'm not going to give all the answers today, but I'd love us to think about this a little bit more, right? To think a little bit more. The road to heaven is heaven, and the road to hell is hell. Um, this is not what necessarily we believe in, right? Because in that sense, if that's true, right? If this point system that I was talking about before was true, and this transactional way of thinking is true, and this idea of at the end of our lives, we're going to get justice for the things that we did, or if we were good, we're going to be in paradise forever. If we were bad, we're going to be in hell forever, if those things are true, then we would behave in a different way, right? Then it would make sense for me to go be a monk, live in a cave, not interact with anybody, right? Not make any mistakes and just make sure I don't mess with the system at all, and then I, now I'm going to go to heaven. That wouldn't make any sense, right? Then we wouldn't be able to ever interact with each other and be there. There's a way then I could cheat the system to get in. And we've all been through this. That's why school is such a trend. We try to get away from transactional relationships with teachers and students in schools. Because it's very possible, and everyone's going to nod their head when I say this, for you to get an A in a class and take a class all year and not learn a thing. It's very, very possible. In fact, I took four years of Spanish over the course of high school and college, and I don't know a lick of Spanish right now, right? And I got an A in mo most of those classes. I got an A, right? And this is what we're trying to avoid for young Jonathan here, right? When the time comes, okay? So if it's possible for us to go to school and not learn anything, but be successful, right? I'm a successful student, but I didn't learn anything. Then is it possible for us to be a successful Christian and not do anything and not have really gotten along the way? Think about that as we keep going, right? There's consequences to this thinking, right? And this thinking is very worldly thinking for us, right? And St. Paul says this in Corinthians. St. Paul says in Corinthians, he says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Say that again, right? As we think about this, St. Paul says this in Corinthians, says, has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? And if we think about this transactional way of thinking, right, this is the wisdom of the world and it's foolish, like St. Paul is telling us, right? This is where our kids are coming back to us and telling us that they feel shame, despair, guilt, 
right? That's where the shame and the guilt comes from, right? The, 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 the idea of being a, you know, a guilty Catholic, a guilty Christian. I've done these things. I feel shame in what I'm doing. Well, I can't go to church. I was bad this week, right? And this is what our kids are telling us because we are really internalizing, right, this transactional way of going things. There's pride that comes with it. I think I'm good. It could go the other way. I could feel shameful, but I could also feel really proud of all the things I've done. There's a belief that then that virtue and action equals righteousness and salvation. That's not the equation that Christ gave us, right? Virtue does not necessarily equal salvation. If that was the case, then that's what philosophy would be, right? Then we would all be, you know, Aristotelian, you know, ethical people, right? We would read Aristotle's ethics, we'd read Plato, and we'd always be good people, and we would go through this, right? Leading a moral life in this world does not necessarily mean salvation. It doesn't necessarily mean the righteousness, right? It doesn't mean being Christ-like, right? Those are, those are not separate, right? Then we start getting a skewed perspective on, on really philanthropy and service and tithing. If I believe and I've internalized this idea of transactional, conditional Christianity, then when I give to the church, when I serve the church, then I expect something in return, right? Then I expect something coming out of this. Well, I did this, so what is the church giving back to me? What is God going to give back to me? And in fact, we know, right, then this age-old question of why do good things happen, why do bad things happen to good people, right? We know that you could give your whole life to service. You can give your whole life like to Christ, and what even Christ will tell us is not like you're returned with good on earth, right? You're going to suffer more, and you're going to be persecuted for this, and you're going to suffer if you follow my name, for those of you who follow me as you go through this. So, but for those of us who are thinking about this in a transactional way, it would really, it would really uh, be a struggle. It also gets us to the point of what is like reductive thinking, right? If we really, as adults, as adults, right, it's really difficult for kids to understand the difference between transactional Christianity and what is the true path of Christ. But as adults, we now start thinking as we as advance in our spiritual life, what is the dualistic thinking that's needed for us to be able to uh, do this? This type of Christianity also prioritizes results over relationships. So what is the church accomplishing this week? What am I accomplishing this week? Right? As opposed to the relationships that we're looking for. And I always joke with this in my Sunday school class, right? I make the kids pray, uh, the high school kids, and I've been doing this in 20 years of service with the church, uh, always I tell them, make sure you pray for the people who didn't come this week, come next week, right? Because we were all raised on that, right? Every one of us who went to Sunday school in, you know, here in America and first year, what was always the prayer at the end? The prayer at the end is, okay, what are you going to say? Let's pray for the people who didn't come this week, let's make sure they come next week. And I think it's funny now, because that's the way to be able to joke about this, is to be able to say that we are only worried about their attendance. It's a metric we're looking for. That's a transaction. I know this is good because John came to church on Sunday. Well, John was at church on Sunday, so that's a good thing, right? But he wasn't at church on Sunday, that's a bad thing, right? So now this thing comes back. And that's how reductive that we've got it down to. Instead of saying we pray for the salvation of our, you know, we pray for peace for everyone this week. We pray for something specific. No, we pray for this transaction, right? The people who didn't come this week come next week. So are we looking for transaction or are we looking for transformation, right? And that really becomes the question in our service and our experience here at church. The church is not a bank, we don't come to put our deposit in on a Sunday, right? It's Sunday, and every week i got to put my deposit in on Sunday, so the deposit stays there all week, and then I leave, right? And if I put multiple deposits in, then it's going to grow. What I'm looking for is a transformational experience when I come here. And this is what our kids are telling us. This is their kids, the youth, and, the, and visitors, and people come into our church, and those who stay, and those who feel the love, that means they came in and they felt the love. But if they come in and they feel like they're part of a transaction, that this is some part of a, a deal that someone's making, they're not going to come back then they're not really going to feel Christ's love 
in the things that we do. So again, we ask ourselves, are we looking for transactions or are we looking for transformation? And I'm not saying this as a Sunday school lesson. If I was given this as a Sunday school lesson as like a fifth grade, fourth grade, third grade class, it would sound very different, right? And it's okay at that level. But as we progress in our spiritual lives, how we become more and more complex in our thinking, non-dualistic in our thinking, what is good and bad only, then that has to change, right? For if God has made foolish, St. Paul tells me, made foolish the wisdom of this world. That would be the wisdom of this world, right? Be like the virtues. I achieve virtue and then I make it. And St. John Chrysostom says this wonderfully. St. John Chrysostom says, even if we have thousands of acts of great virtue to our credit, our confidence in being heard must be based on God's mercy and his love for men. Even if we stand at the very summit of virtue, it is by mercy that we shall be saved. So that means I could live a spotless life, get 100 points, right, on the Christianity exam, right, and, and make sure I, I got an A-plus on it. But even if I got an A-plus on the Christianity virtue exam, it is only by God's mercy, only by his love, only by his grace that I'm going to be saved. And when we really begin to understand that, then you move beyond this dualistic thinking of I'm going to do good things so I can go to heaven. Or how do I live this really complicated and very torturous and persecuted life to be like Christ? And that's just very, very different things. And the reason that we tend to gear ourselves and our thinking more towards virtue is because there's certainty in that. There's certainty in transactional Christianity. It makes me feel good, right? Because I know for certain, if I do my homework and I pass the test, I'm going to get an A in the class. That makes me feel good. There's certainty in that, right? But there's a lot of uncertainty, right, in the way of following Christ. There's more questions than there are answers, right? It's far more questions than there are answers on this path of trying to be Christ-like trying to follow his way. And so when we look for that certainty, then we seek towards, well, then I'll just do virtue. It's a virtuous act. And that's not saying that those can live alone. Even if we stand at the very summit of virtue, it is by mercy that we shall be saved. Right? Listen to what John, St. John Chrysostom is telling us. Um, even going back a few slides too, if I was to think about like this idea of heaven and hell again, right? And again, this is a whole deep theological dive we'd have to take into that but i'm asking you guys to think about this as we go right if we really believe that i'm going to be tortured for eternity because of my behavior on this earth right or that i'm now going to get into this place where you know there's everything i've ever wanted in my life i have access to all the video games and all the food and everything that this idea of heaven of the destination exists then it really makes you think twice about then what we're trying to do here on earth that does not a ton of justice in that there's a theologian I was reading once even said this, like, would Christ have resurrected Lazarus from the dead if the world was so bad, right? If, if the goal of Christianity is to die and go to heaven and go to this great place, right? And that's it. And that's the only destination, right? And we're trying to fast track that way. Then when Lazarus died, what would have Jesus done on earth? He said, cool, hey, he made it, guys. This is an amazing day, right? And we say this at funerals all the time to each other now, right? When somebody dies, we say they're in a better place. Don't worry, they've left this awful place, and they went to the great place. They went to the good place. Because this place is so bad, right? That they had to go. Well, if that's true, right? And that's everything is beyond, then we would think differently. And Jesus would have done differently with Lazarus, I think, right? He wouldn't have said, hey, friend, come back to this awful place. He wouldn't have taken him from paradise and snatched him and put him back in there. That wouldn't make sense. That wouldn't be merciful. Just to keep the laughs going, right? These people really want to save me from drowning, or are you just virtue signaling at this point? Like, do you really want to help this person? Or do I just want to look good for saving this person from the well? Because you know? even if I stand at the virtuous summit, it's only by mercy that I'm going to be saved. And what did God tell us about this, even in his living example of Christ when he was on earth? How did 
Christ, while on earth, deal with these people and their behavior? If I was thinking of St. Dimas, okay, if I'm at the, the top left where you guys are looking, right? St. Dimas, the right-hand thief on the cross. If I'm keeping points, again, if I'm using a point system and I'm using transactional Christianity, think about his life. My feeling is he's at a minus 99.9%, right? He's an F minus. Professor Awad just told me St. Damas spent his whole life at an F minus in the class, right? He's a murderer, right? He's, on the, he's being crucified for his behavior, for his sins here on earth. But now we call him Saint. Now we call him Saint Damas. So if I'm thinking transaction, F. If I'm thinking point system, zero points, negative points, right? But in the last second, in his time, right, he saw the revelation of Christ next to him, and he goes to heaven. Is he going to have the same amount of points? This is why the heaven and hell thing becomes more and more to think about. There will be people in heaven in this, in this place when we go, not this physical place, right? But when we transcend to this area, that will have minus 9,900 points, and there will be people who have a bunch of points. That's not a fair place to be, right? That's not transaction, right? That math doesn't check out. That math doesn't check out that this person was so virtuous and this person was not, and they're both in heaven. We think of St. Fotina, right? And we put under her, what does it say under St. Fotina's name, right? Equal to the apostles, right? Equal to the apostles is what we say of St. Fotina. The, the virtues and the things that the apostles did, the amount of miracles, the amount of healing, the amount of preaching, the amount of work that they did, and here's St. Fatina, right? The Samaritan woman. A woman who admitted all the sins she had in her life, all the way up to that end. And if I'm keeping score of the Samaritan woman's life, she's losing, right? She's losing. And now we say she's equal to the apostles. Virtuous apostles, St. Fatina, right? At the end. That's the transaction we're trying to think of. And no more than I think about that when I think of St. Paul, too, on the left. And this is our church is named after St. Paul. I've quoted St. Paul three times already in this talk. I'm going to keep doing this. And he's the teacher of the world, we say. We say in the liturgy, we say St. Paul is the teacher of the world. But if I was to take his life in totality, right? And I'm keeping score of St. Paul's life, right? And the things he did. Now, of course, his work is spread through the ends of the earth and for eternity left. But spend most of his life killing people like us and, and torturing people like us and chasing Christians down, Right? until the end. So if we're keeping score, this math doesn't check out. And so this is the level of thinking and meditation on the scripture and meditation on Christ's life that we're at now versus what we teach in our Sunday school classrooms. And so when our youth starts to leave, they start saying, well, that doesn't check out anymore, right? It doesn't check out anymore. The math doesn't check out anymore. And this math here that we're getting to, when you think of these examples of these saints, it doesn't have anymore. He didn't hold this, their behavior against them, you know? Christ-likeness, the ability of being like Christ, can't just be earned through virtue, right? Can't just be earned through virtue. St. John Chrysostom, again, right, just because these aren't my words and I want to keep pushing the understanding from the fathers of the church. He says, for to abstain from stealing and murdering is a trifling sort of acquirement. But to believe that it is possible for God to do things impossible requires a soul of no mean stature and earnestly affected towards him, for this is a sign of sincere love. I'm going to repeat that first line again. This is what St. John Chrysostom telling you. He says, for you to abstain from stealing and murdering is a trifling sort of requirement. Like, good job, man. So you didn't kill anybody this week. Good job, Drew. Right? That's cool. Like, you're not supposed to do that. Right? You didn't steal or murder this week. Right? You didn't steal or murder. It's a trifling sort of requirement that St. John Chrysostom says. Right? 
Oh, good, you didn't go to jail this week. Oh, good, right? Oh, you take care of your kids. You want a cookie for that, right? Oh, you went to church on Sunday. Nice job. This the, saint, the fathers of the church will punch you right in the face with this type of stuff, right? And they'll tell us, for to abstain from stealing and murdering is a trifling sort of requirement. For he indeed honors God who fulfills the commandments, but he does so in a much greater degree who follows the wisdom by his faith. So then it becomes about wisdom, discernment, right? How I'm dealing with this stuff on it, as opposed to saying, right, oh, but I didn't steal or murder, so then I get to go to heaven. I get a pass into this place because I just avoided these bad behaviors my whole life. And someone always told me at church, don't do that stuff, right? So if I think about these saints, right, and the people that we're looking at now, the point is, and what Christ taught us, what Jesus' life taught us, is that people improve when they get external love and support. So how do we hold it against them? Really think about that. How can we hold it against someone if they don't get external love and support? So Jesus did not hold that against St. Demas. He didn't hold it against St. Paul. He didn't hold it against St. Fatina, against the Samaritan woman. Without this external love, and now we're talking about the church, external love and support and community for the people that we serve and everybody who walks through this door. Without this external love and support, how can we hold it against them if they're not getting that from us? How can we? We can't do it. So to be Christ-like, it can't be earned. It's not like a reward at the end. Father Richard Rohr tells us, once you experience being loved when you are unworthy, being forgiven when you did something wrong, that moves you into non-dual thinking. You, call, you move from what I call meritocracy, quid pro quo thinking, which is like transactional Christianity, to the huge ocean of grace where you stop counting and you stop calculating. You move from this meritocracy, a quid pro quo. I did this for God, I get back, Right? You move from this non-dualistic thinking, you think of this ocean of grace where you can't stop counting and calculating. When you experience being loved when you're unworthy and being forgiven when you did something wrong. Anybody, have we experienced this? Have you guys experienced this? Have you ever experienced being loved when you're unworthy? Every time I feel I am unfairly hated, I remember I'm unfairly loved. Think about that. Every time I feel I'm unfairly hated, I feel like I'm unfairly loved. So that math doesn't check out because I'm unfairly loved on a daily basis. I'm unfairly right, given for this from God, right? I'm unfairly given. By his grace, St. Isaac the Syrian said this again. If God was just, if St. Isaac the said, if God was just, we'd all be in hell. If God was a just God and there was justice and fairness, St. Isaac the Syrian says, we'd all be in hell. We'd all be in this theoretical torture chamber that's there. But that's not true. He's not a just God. He's not like justice. He's not looking for fairness. He just loves. It's just love. Unfairly. So that math doesn't check out. There's another saying that goes, to give your more, to receive less. The way I like to think about this when I, to, to wrap my thought here is, right, one plus one does not equal two in Christianity. It just doesn't. I give and I give and I give and then I get two back. I had one, two, now one plus one equals two. It doesn't. I have to give more so that I can receive less. And that is the challenge of Christianity. That's why philosophy and any of these like virtuous and moral living or virtue ethics, that's why those fall short. That's why so many people go study those things and stop and say, well, there's got to be more to it than this. There has to be a deeper meaning than this. Oh, I do good and then I'm rewarded for this good. It can't be, right? He must increase and I must decrease. I need to give more so I can receive less. And the more that we can think about this
our faith and being Christ-like in a way that doesn't add up to a final score, the more that we can have effective service and presence with those in our church. And glory be to God forever. Amen. I'm happy to take questions or comments or concerns, sir. Any questions? Um, I wanted to add something, if please, that's okay. Please, please. Um, I, I heard from a couple of the church fathers that that the progression of our life, what we do now, is just a continuation of the afterlife. That's right. So how we treat one another, how we live our lives now, there's not the heaven and hell. Is it? It's a continuation of our relationship and intimacy of Christ. So how we have that relationship with Christ now, it just continues, and it's just closer, right? And so it's just more of a continuation. So if you're a person that doesn't have Christ in their life or just, uh, just uh, absolutely ignores or looks the other way, that's just a continuation after. That's one way yeah. that church fathers put it. Any other questions, concerns, comments? Yeah, there's one right here. Henry. Where? Henry. Where? Oh, oh, sorry. So you mentioned a lot, like, in regards to how we teach our children or mm -hmm. in terms of, like, Sunday school. Yeah. But I guess my question is, where is that balance to be drawn of, like, you're a child, you don't fully understand yet that this is something important versus, like, I need to give you that structure of, like, yeah. you need to have that structured prayer time right now until you understand what it means or even with something like you mentioned the example of the um the prayer we grew up saying of yeah. like please yeah. god let them come next week right i think like yes on the one end it can be a bad thing mm. but on the other end if there's the proper frame of mind like it can be like no because i'm thinking about my brother or sister who's not here and it's yeah. not necessarily that um, Joe isn't here, so he's going to hell or yeah. something like that. But, like, I'm concerned that he's not here. I'm hoping that he's okay. Yeah. So I guess where is that balance struck of I want to do good things because I want to please my dad because he's somebody I love and not falling into the, like, um, checkmark Christianity the or transactional, transactional or conditional. Yeah, it's a wonderful question. In fact, I was hoping somebody would ask that question, so I appreciate that. And then not to say that that, and so let me qualify the prayer that I was talking about before, right? It doesn't, it doesn't mean that's a bad prayer or a good prayer, right? It's just, it's a way, the way we think about these things is not good or bad. It's the systems in which we, we do things, right? I still do that. The reason I still make them do the prayer because it makes us think, right? It's a prayer. And, this, and of course, at, in first grade, that's a prayer of concern. My brother isn't here. My sister isn't here, right? I hope they come back next week, right? There's nothing wrong or bad about it. So your question is beautiful. It's what is the, the balance, right, of saying do this and, you know, you're going to be punished by God or you'll know that there's a hell or there's, a, these are, there's consequences to your behavior to then this idea that this non-transactional, unconditional thinking, non-dualistic thinking we're thinking of, right, which I think is a really important question for us to think about. The way I feel like we want to understand this is that it's on a continuum. Think of like stages in life, right? And stages of development, right? So any, any aspect of development in anywhere in the world and in what we think of has some stages of development. Like we think of like Eric Erickson's stages of development in life. We think of like any of those things on a continuum. When we're teaching young kids 
about Christianity and about Christ, we have to actually teach that in a very dualistic way, right? We do. We have, we kind of have no choice, right? Think about a kid, right? And you're telling him like, hey, um, thanks, Mike. If you're thinking of a kid, right? And there's two kids who are, let's say, doing drugs at school, right? The only thing we can tell that kid is stay away. That's wrong. Don't do it, right? That's, that is what we would call dualistic thinking. We have to, we have to, it has to be that way, right? It has to be that way. But then what do we start talking to the old, as the youth get older, right? And they start getting into high school and they start getting into college and it's their friend that they love that's doing those drugs over there, right? Or is this doing something bad? Now we're saying, no, 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 you, we, we definitely still want you to believe what we taught you as a kid, right? That that's wrong and we don't want to sin, but we also teach you to maintain your love for that person. And how do you love the sin, sinner while also hating the sin, right? How can you forgive that person while they did this wrong thing to you. What do we tell our kids even at school now? If my kid is getting bullied in the third or fourth grade, I'm like, just don't play with that kid anymore. Stay away, avoid that kid, right? But then what happens when they're in high school and they're older and they're later, right? We say, well, that person was mean to you. They wronged you. We have to learn. We are commanded to learn to forgive that person. And then we're commanded not only to forgive them, but to love them. And then to turn the other cheek, right? And to go that, that's, that is the non-dualistic area of Christianity, right? Of Christ, the really the understanding of Christ that we have to strike the balance of. So the balance that you're asking for, the question is, there's no direct answer to that, right? But there's a continuum of it, right? At some point, the kids start figuring it out, right? That's, and that's when people start questioning the church, right? I thought Christ was merciful. I thought Christ was loving. I thought Christ told me to forgive, right? Christ clearly did this in all these examples on Sunday here at church, every Sunday. But what you taught me as a kid got me here. And there's a great saying that says, what got me here, what got you here won't get you there. So what got us to this point, what kept us in, in the faith, right, and what taught us the faith at this young age, isn't what's going to help us understand the faith later in life. Does that help answer it, you know? I know it's, got, it's not like black and white, right? We, we have to be very cognizant and mindful of how we build this pathway up, right? Because they're, smart, they're smarter than us. They're teaching us, right? They're telling us. But, but John, right, you, you know, you used to tell me, I can't do those things and I not avoid those people. Now you're telling me to go love them and go give that person a hug. You know, and it's like, well, yeah, let's talk about this, right? Let's talk about how we can get there. This person came to church. We kicked them out of church because they weren't, they weren't uh, doing the exact right thing they were supposed to be in here. But you told me when I was a kid, I was supposed to love everybody, right? And then it's this cognitive dissonance that they're living in, right, that we have to now go. And now to me, it's not cognitive dissonance. It's really truly understanding Christ's example, right, and what God is teaching us through Christ. I appreciate that question a lot. Anyone else? Let's pray, Henry. Let's pray. Thank you.